Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 21. Woo woo. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. You should see where I'm sitting. I'm in, sitting in Supergirl's room in her pink and purple room. And she's like, watch it. Well, downstairs watching DuckTales. Remember DuckTales? DuckTales. Right, right. Do I remember? <laughs> what kind of question is that? And I'm like, I'm so jelly. I'm like, oh my God. I'll be right back, Supergirl. <laughs> um, in honor of our 21st anniversary, 21st podcast anniversary not yearly, uh, a weekly anniversary. I'm having a lovely glass of wine here Ooh. since we're legal now. <laughs> oh, we're up drinking it. <laughs> we can we're drink. going up so fast. I know. Um, well, great. Thank you guys for coming back. This is going to be a very special episode because later on in the show, we have an interview. I got to sit down um, via Skype and talk to Aja McClanahan. She is a mother from Chicago, mother of three children, I believe. I could be exaggerating. could be two or three <laughs> children. And she talked to me about how her and her husband paid off over $100,000 in debt in just five or six years. Wow. Um, it was a really cool conversation with Aja. And you know what? One of the things, the key to her debt payoff was completely changing the way they lived. And when I say that, you will not believe what she did, like how drastic they went to save on their housing costs. Okay. So tune in later in the show and meet Aja. I can't wait because people always tell me, oh, budgetista, you're single. You don't have any kids. That's why you're able to save and this and that. That is true. You know, and people, all, I know they probably tell you that all the time too. Like, whatever, what do you know? But I'm like, really? Because I learned all my tricks of the trade from my parents who had five. I mean, come on, that's a tribe. And, <laughs> and I tell people that like, yes, it is definitely easier when you're single, but it is not impossible if you have kids. I think the difference is that when you have kids, you don't need to like talk yourself into budgeting. It is a necessity. Yes. You know what I mean? Whereas with <laughs> us, it's like, hmm, we want, we have the liberty to like put it off or, you know, try it out. But I mean, I, I watch my finances so I can, if I have kids, if I'm blessed enough to have kids in the future, you know, they'll have a decent life. Exactly. So yeah, you can do it with or without, but I'm, I, that's why I'm so excited to hear it because it's like, yes, someone who can kind of speak to that. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to talk about, so I know, have you heard of the whole black girl magic thing with Elle and Essence? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just thought it was so, I didn't, I, I saw Essence's video about what black girl magic was and I was like, oh, this is cute. Cause you know, I don't know. It's just something that I've said before. I've seen other girls say, it's just a celebration of you know, women and their blackness, you know, and then that L article, which I'm like, it seems so bizarre. Cause I'm like, is this woman really taking 
black girl magic literally like w- black women are believing that they are literal magic magical creatures i could not wrap my mind around what <sighs> yes i i just and then from what i understand the woman who wrote i think her name is like linda she's a woman of color and i just didn't get it i'm like linda black women are not saying and i mean i know there's some women who are like yes they have magical properties but typically when women are using the hashtag or the phrase black girl magic what it is just saying like like, uh-oh, watch me, world. You see me. I'm fly. That's really just it. I just, I don't know. I just thought it was so weird and bizarre and just so unnecessary. I'm like, sheesh, can a black woman love on herself? Like- I will say, you know, the, 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 like, the backbone of the story, the context of the story is this woman has been living with MS for MS, yeah. 10 years. And her thing is that she's saying, she's kind of, um, she's kind of likening it to the strong black women stereotype which doesn't really give black women any room to be human to be vulnerable to be in pain and so she's kind of saying black girl magic puts too much pressure on black girls to feel like they must be perfect at everything um and i just pulled it up so i can quote it she says um one attitude i'll never take on is the idea that i can be a magical black woman that somewhere within me is some black girl magic because there isn't Everything inside and outside of me is flesh and bone and a, nerv- and a nervous system with bad signaling. Nothing magical. It's sad, uh, you know. Well, I, I mean, I, I it like is. It, it's really sad. I mean, you can't deny the struggle of someone with – I mean, MS is a disease that stays with you for a lifetime. Yeah, She's and I have just, a, a few – Go ahead. Tired. No, I was going to say, because I have a, a number of my friends who suffer from those type of, like, uh, degenerative diseases that, like, over time, like, from lupus-like diseases, MS. One of my actually good friends has MS, so I've seen her struggle with that. So I can completely understand that feeling of, like, if I was so magic, how come I feel like this? So, you know, I can see, you know, but I I guess I feel like that the term black girl magic, from every black girl that I've seen to use it, was not using it in the context of saying you can that like you know that you can do no wrong it was just kind of like go girl you got that like that in that moment not in like in your entirety of your your black girl history but in this moment I am displaying some awesomeness that's I mean that's how I mean of course I can't speak for every black girl obviously but that's how I use it that like when something kick-ass happens or I look particularly brown and chocolatey and amazing in a Facebook picture or a selfie. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, black girl magic in this moment. Like, I feel dope. I look dope. Like, check me out, you know? And I just feel like, to me, it's something positive that it just seems, like, weirdly twisted here. And it's unfortunate because, yes, I don't wish what she's going through on anyone. But at the same time, I don't think that that's the intention of that that hashtag. I I agree. I think that she just needs to find... She has to make peace with her illness. And I feel like from her perspective, like there's never been a time when everyone's awesomeness has ever been more shoved in our faces than right now. Mm. I mean, Mm -hmm. every social media, every Instagram, (laughs) even I get tired of it. Like, oh, you in a dress again, looking fly. Okay, fine. We get it. Like, oh, you're in the gym again. Congrats. Like, why do I need to see you? You know, I know. And like, it's, I mean, I have a strong sense of self and I, I can, I, you know, I'm, I support, I just, I just liked a picture from my friend who ran her like 15th marathon, you know, <laughs> it didn't feel as exciting as the first, but I'm proud of her, you know? No, but honestly, I, you're, you are so right though. Cause I'm not going to lie. Like my Superman came home the other day. He was like, so I don't want to be a part of your social media. <laughs> 
like, where is this coming from? He was just like, I don't know. I just feel like I just don't want to be a part of it. He's like, I think it's great. You know, you know, I love you. Just, I just feel like, I feel like everything is always on display. Not necessarily for us, you know, because I don't really share him that Uh, much. You know, but just like in general, he's like, I, he's like, I'm honestly, I'm just sick of Facebook. I'm sick of all. He's like, I'm never going to join Instagram, Twitter. I just feel like everybody's always putting everything on display and I'm Only tired. Only the good stuff, the good stuff they're putting yes. on display. You're right. He's just like, I'm tired of it. I don't care. And it just had me thinking like, I love you in real life. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody doesn't have to like, and I was like, okay, I don't post much about you, but we don't have to, <laughs> we don't, I don't know what you're going through or what happened or what, what scarred you. You know, but we don't have to post any of those other things again, you know. Meanwhile, his Facebook picture is us, too. I'm looking at him like, mm, but side eye. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that some people can be a little extra with it. And I can understand that frustration feeling like, can't people put up something real, like a, a real struggle? Like, you know, someone with MS, people like. Yeah. And there is a, you know, we just had a talk about this at work, about how there, we never put any pictures of people with disabilities in our stories. And, you know, people mm-hmm. who feel, who are disabled feel invisible because that's not the, you know, hashtag magic that you want to put on Instagram. Yeah, you're right. Um, so maybe it's just, it's something to think about it, but I think it, I, you know, I appreciate her displaying her vulnerability and pain out there. So maybe I, I was too flippant in the beginning, but you know, I, I see both sides. Yeah, no, I could see. I mean, I'm glad, thank you for that perspective. Cause I was just like, what in the hell? she didn't want to take away something that's so positive you know yeah you know because it's hard enough out here being a brown girl i just accepted my brown skin you know Mm -hmm. like can i rub a little black girl magic on it and i was just like but you know but from hearing from your perspective and i did read it but i guess i i had already come to a conclusion before i read the article that i was angry at her so i didn't allow to see kind of like her her point of view although i can appreciate it i do not agree so have you seen the interview with Hillary Clinton that was, I think, from last week? She was interviewing at Drake University or by a Drake University student. And the student asked her, when is a time in your life when you feel like you've benefited from white privilege? Ooh, good question. Which was, you know, it was, it's a great question. It was such a, you know, a, a thought-provoking question. And I, I'm glad because Clinton, Hillary, did not deny it like uh, as a lot of people try to do they get very like uncomfortable you know Mm -hmm. bring up the idea of white privilege and she looked it right in the face and she gave this answer um hillary said i was born white middle class in the middle of america i never really knew what wasn't or wasn't what was or wasn't part of the privilege i just knew that i was a lucky person when i first realized that i was privileged both because i was white and because i was economically stable Our church asked if some of us would volunteer to babysit for the children of migrant farm workers because the families had to go into the fields to work and the older kids had to go with them. And there was nobody left to watch the little kids. So she and some of her friends volunteered to take care of those kids, Um, which this is when I know Hillary Clinton is like a class A politician. Like she is good Mm -hmm. at what she does. What? Not only is she acknowledging the question, which is going to get her points. She's telling a, you know, a story that, you know, in, in which you can clearly see, yes, you've been benefit, you've benefited from white, ch- white privilege, mm-hmm. but it also makes her look good because she was volunteering. Exactly. Oh, migrant children. She yeah, is that good. Was, what? You I mean, good her. is not. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it just, but she did it in such a smooth way that just made you say, okay, thank you for acknowledging. Oh, you give, you go to church, you're a Christian. All, she checked off all the boxes that like people are kind of looking for um, in a politician. So that was just, I, you know, the part that impressed me most is that she didn't deny it because it would be so easy to. Or, or, or 
make it about make the question like just like I feel like what politicians so often do is instead of moving the conversation forward, they focus on the question and go, start going backward. Like, oh, well, I don't really like the, like the term white privilege. So I'm not going to yes. answer the question in the first place. It makes me uncomfortable. Yes, um, yes. You man, see that I think a lot. you gotta you gotta take these uncomfortable conversations, get deep down in the uncomfortableness of them, and just like keep going. We have to move forward already. I'm sick of all this. Yeah, I like Nonsense. that. You're right. A lot of people like to pretend like, I don't see racism. It's like, oh, okay, well, that must be nice. Well, I don't see gravity, and yet it still pulls me down. <laughs> Do you see God? Do you? I know. Exactly. Um, so I wanted to talk about, I know this is a little bit old, but it's just been go- coming up in my time, my feed, so often. I guess uh, something is just going on in Michigan. I mean, we already know about the woes of Detroit, and this teacher wrote this brilliant post, I guess, in defense of teachers in uh, Detroit, because... I don't know, some politician, I guess, uh, the, the, the students have been protesting and a politician was blame, blaming the teachers and saying the students were used as pawns in the protest by the teachers. And she wrote this brilliant post kind of saying, yeah, no, we work in freezing conditions in the winter, stifling hot conditions in the summer. We took a 10% pay cut. We lent the, the, the Board of Education $10,000. You know, we're being told that we might not even get our pension. So, yeah, we're kind of here because we love being here, not because we're getting all these great benefits. So that was one. But the thing that has really been bothering me is that whole Flint, Michigan, and like Mm -hmm. the poisoning of their water. And it just, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard, you've read, but it's just, it's just mind boggling that a government entity has been allowed to poison their citizens in such a way that will have ramifications and effects years from now because lead poison is something that that will affect your your cognitive growth there's neurological uh, effects it's just i don't i just couldn't even believe it and just to see the water and like i just saw this one post that just blew my mind that there were some residents so they tested uh people's water and it went from being like mildly contaminated to completely like the the equivalent of raw sewage. Oh, of can you like, stop for a second? Because it's a lot of static. Sorry. Okay. It's a me? Yeah. Maybe you're talking too close to the mic a little bit. Maybe oh you can God. sense your passion and it. it's like short circuiting it. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah. Better? No, I can hear you. It was just like, it was just breaking up a little bit. Okay. All right. Just so I, I, yeah. I moved the mic up a little. So, so yeah. So they were testing different homes to kind of see how bad the situation was. And there were like some homes that, um, and I can't like quote, it's like 300 parts per billion or something like that, which basically is the equivalent of sewage. Sewage in someone's home with a child. Hospitals having contaminated water. I just... It's just mind-boggling. I don't even know what to say. I'm like, well, how is this allowed? How is the governor still allowed to be the governor? How is the mayor still allowed to be a mayor? How are the people who have made this decision to, instead of getting water from, I think they were getting water from where, right? The, the, they were getting water from Detroit, right? The, where were they? The river. The, the river. Which river? Well, originally, no, they were getting water from, uh, I think, like the Great Lakes, which was like, you know, clean water or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they made the decision to get water from the Flint River without really taking into consideration that that water was not, one, it's not potable. And it was like breaking down the lead in the pipes. And that was just seeping into people's homes and just, I don't know. I'm like, how is this not a bigger story? It's like, becoming. It's been a year. But finally, it's been the New York Times... 
there's a really cool – I think I posted on the Brown Ambition Facebook page. Not cool. I don't want to like make it seem like it's fun. It's not. I posted a, a, a New York Times or it's Washington Post, I think, graphic of the level of lead in Flint's water versus healthy water versus yes. mild, you know, unhealthy lead water. And it's like many times more lead than the normal – than the unsafe lead, you know, uh, um, uh, what you call it. <laughs> what's the word proportion whatever <laughs> there's just too like much damn lead in the water yes. it's a Basically, human it's like crisis beyond unsafe like beyond. it's like they're they're into like the damn near deadly category it's like oh no we've passed unsafe a, a long time ago and now the president's and, declared a state of emergency yeah don't know why it's taken so long yeah it's just i don't know it's it's really disheartening when you see how uh people with without influence or wealth are treated at times, because there's just no way that this could happen in like a Connecticut, you know, in a rich town. It just would not happen. And, you know, everybody's quick to say, just move. Oh, because I have hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars to just get up and move. No, I'm sure people would have. I'm sure tons of people have left, but not everybody has the means to. And really, if it wasn't for that doctor, remember, she was just noticing. I forgot the doctor's name and I wish I knew. Uh, she was noticing just this like increase of young children coming in with these high lead levels. And she wrote like a, a paper and basically the, the powers that be, the governor, the mayor, all try to try to say that, you know, she didn't know what she was talking about. Mm. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I'm like, I get that these are not your kids, but you don't feel any sort of, I just don't get when people make decisions, especially about kids. Okay. You don't care about adults. Fine. But you don't think to yourself, huh? This decision I'm making is kind of killing babies, but uh, well, you know, things happen. Like, what is what is it that goes through people's minds when you find out that you know you are literally just potentially creating an environment where kids will be sick for the rest of their lives, and there's just nothing, no movement. You sleep at night. It's you know, do you look at your kids and think to yourself, "Not my kids," you know? But the way karma works, maybe, maybe what. Maybe, maybe your kids or your grandkids or whatever. That's just the way karma works. You don't, things don't just happen in one area and think they don't seep over, you know? So, yeah. Those are great questions for the mayor, Karen Weaver. How? How, Karen? How? Because they made this decision knowing that it could lead to problems, knowing that the water was disgusting. Um, And even though they did switch back to the the healthy water supply from Detroit, all the damage from those, those, um, those pipes that had already been damaged had been done you you can't fix that sort of thing yeah I, mean, can you, I can't imagine washing my baby in a bathtub knowing that if the baby like pops a bubble or puts her hand mm-hmm. in her mouth like that she'll get sick you know that's that's terrifying stuff it is it's not right it's, yeah and it just it's it's terrifying especially when you feel like you don't have a choice at like you're you have to deal with it because you just where can I go what can I do am I gonna find I'm gonna get up money for another apartment in another place and move if it was that easy people would have just left a long time ago it's just I don't know when you read stuff like that sometimes I'm just like oh I need a break from from life and people like you know you can't be that terrible sheesh like it's not supposed to happen in America how many nonprofits in America work in other developing and developing nations yes. to you know increase access to water how many are there and yet in our it's, own backyard yeah this is sad. happening yeah it is sad Okay, well, let's. Are you ready for brown break or any more buzzworthies? No, I think that can be it for buzzworthy. I'll save. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll save Oprah. 
I have okay. some words for Oprah. We'll save that for next week. Maybe some of you guys <laughs> might agree with me. I don't want to get flamed. Prepare yourselves. You have a week to prepare yourselves. <laughs> get your big girl panties on. <laughs> All, right. All right. So you t- you ready for brown break? All right. So Let's this brown it. break was inspired by Miss Mandy herself. We were talking before we started taping. And I was call like, me a muse. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that the word we're using now? So I'm you are... Muse. Muse Mandy, Mandy the Muse. So we were just talking about like um, uh, networking, and she had an instance Don't where you she love it. I know it's so amazing. Wait, let me tell. Let me let me start by telling the story, and then you can yes, steal tell your it story as you did yes, earlier. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So earlier this week, I was at a networking event for a professional organization. And just the word networking is super stressful to me. Um, I have to psych myself up before I go. Um, and I, I, everyone's sort of been in that position. Even if you've been a part of an organization for a while, you walk into a room full of people and there's, you know, some people are talking to some people, some people aren't talking to people. And if you're going there for real networking purposes, which is to put your card in the hand of someone who might give you a job, you want to be strategic about it. But like, it seems like everyone is trying to talk to you along the way. And sometimes you have to find a way to like gracefully like remove yourself from someone who's latched onto you, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to think that I'm pretty graceful about it. But this time I was I ran into someone and I quickly just said thank you because he had done something super nice for me. And he was straight up doing the thing where he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Glad for that. He was looking over his shoulder, like mm. desperate to find some sort of excuse not to talk to me. And I was like, what is do I have a booger in my nose? Am <laughs> I did someone fart around me and I'm getting blamed for it? Like it was really bad. And I was just. At that point, I just had to extract myself from the situation. I'm like, networking is is done for the evening. I need to back out. I've reached my limit. I made it an hour and a half. Not bad, I don't think. But um, it's just awkward. Yeah, so that's why I'm taking a brown break from networking. Because I, oddly enough, just because, you know, I speak publicly, I'm actually on the shy side. Like, I'm good on the stage in front of all these people. But then if you catch me like in a room, I'm not the type to kind of go up to a stranger one on one and just say, hey, stranger, let me tell you a little something about me. Like I will just sit there silently like a wildflower. Like (laughs) now I can make casual conversation like I'm the type of like, you know, I might see you in the bathroom and say cute shoes and we could talk about that. But I'm never good at like talking about my business and like business settings I'm always I always feel so awkward or shy and yeah so uh uh-uh I don't even network I'm the worst I'm always like uh I always feel like my cards are all bent up at the at the edges and I'm always apologizing for them looking raggedy (laughs) (laughs) well networking itself is important I feel like and I think that it's something that we we force ourselves to do it sometimes for a reason right like it's why do we go to FinCon every year that shit's stressful as hell but um we get we get through it it is networking but you know, sometimes you go and some people know you already and that sort of helps break the ice. Yes. Um, and I and I truly feel like, especially if you feel like you're not getting where you want to get in your career and you need to, and we always talk about having mentor, someone who's higher than you. Well, sometimes you got to put yourself in their path, yes, unfortunately, sure. which happens to be networking events sometimes. Put yourself in front of them to kind of make that connection. I do, however, feel like some people need to be trained. Yes. Like, some people who have no social skills and are looking over their shoulder while they're talking to you very rudely, quite <laughs> that rudely. That is. Or just like people who are making it clear that they don't like. I remember like at uh, a networking event, I was talking to this guy who was fairly popular in our in our field. And so everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. He's great. And so he was talking to another guy who was clearly kind of like, you know, sweating him for lack of a better word. Like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And so I came over to the guy just to say hi, the guy that I knew, the popular guy. 
And the other guy was kind of like rolling his eyes like, who is this chick? Like, whatever. And it wasn't until Mr. Popular was like, oh, my God, Tiff, I'm so proud of you for doing this and that. I've been following. You know, let's hang out. Let's." Do-. Then all of a sudden, Mr. I didn't care about Tiffany was like, he perked up. And I was like, too little, too late, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought that was so crazy that like, you know, I get it. Don't get me wrong. If Oprah walks into the room, I get it. You know, we all want to talk to Oprah. But the thing is that being like having manners has nothing to do with whether or not you think I'm important or not. Like that's just basic, like just basic. I don't know. Decent humancy, like decent human, basic human decency. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> get big Latin today, right? I just don't get it. You can't just say hello, how are you, and look me in the eye. We don't have to be BFFs. I just think that that's just. You should treat every person like a person. Like someone, yeah. maybe they're not the person you want. Maybe the person you want to talk to is standing right behind them and you know they're about to leave and you're desperate to give them your phone, your card. And the person standing in front of you is just going on and on and mm-hmm. on about their summer internship. And, you know, that is an unfortunate situation. But practice extracting, extracting yourself, you know, say, oh, I'm so sorry, but I have to run. Here's my card. Reach out to me anytime. I really mm-hmm. enjoy talking to you and say their name because they know they've told you their name mm-hmm. um, and, and get out of there, you know. But don't yeah. look over your shoulder at the next person. It just makes people feel like crap. Yeah. So I'm taking a, a brown break from from networking. Not that you shouldn't network. You should. But just networking in that way would just make you feel even more uncomfortable. Like, maybe I'm not important. And and just on second thought, like, I always think to myself when people act as if, like, you know, someone in the room is so important. I think to myself, man, if you were having a heart attack right now, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't care that Oprah's in the room. You'd want a doctor. That importance really is relative. Like, you know what I mean? Like we put importance on certain people, but in this setting, you know, but maybe not in every setting to remind yourself that, you know, that we are, we all have value and to value, you know, everyone. Like if something spills and you don't want to fall, the janitor is important. Don't treat him like that. Or like, you know, your waiter, she's important too. Don't talk to her crazy. Just remembering that people are people. Oprah's a person, but she's not the most important person in the world. She might not even be the most important person in the room, depending on what's going down. So just be mindful. You know, I'm in a little sassy mood today. And be, yeah, and be strategic about the networking. I think the older you get, the more experience you get. You learn which networking events are worth it and which are not yes. worth it. Smaller networking events are always much better, I yeah, would say. Yeah, for sure. Little small situations. And then, you know, if Oprah's in the room, Oprah didn't get there by herself. And Oprah has no time for you, it's likely. So focus yeah. on who she's worked with throughout her career. Maybe get somewhere like six degrees from Oprah. Mm-hmm. You know, that can get you in the door a little bit quicker. Um, exactly. That's my little two cents. So what about you? What are you brown breaking from? I want to brown break. So this has been something that's been building up for a few weeks now with me. Um, as you know, I'm sort of – I'm trying to plan a wedding. Oh, it's really stressful. But <laughs> <laughs> what's not making it any more fun – okay, when I say I'm planning, what I've basically done is I followed a bunch of bridal blogs and like bridal shops on Instagram. That's the extent of my planning so far. I'm feeling good about it, (laughs) except it's boggling to my mind, and maybe I'm being naive here, but it is boggling to me that I will go through one bridal designer's Instagram page or one bridal blog, um, their whole Instagram page, and I will maybe – and one person I went through a year of posts. I counted two, two women of color that I could tell just by looking at face value on their entire – and every single picture is a beautiful white or, you know – a fair-skinned woman wearing a wedding gown. And it is just, it makes my blood curdle because I'm like, 
do brown women not get freaking married? I mean, I was just about to say, what apparently. is happening? What, and, and, <laughs> and do you not want me to want to come buy your expensive wedding gown? How can you shut out an entire part of your audience? Um, and I just think it's so short-sighted and it makes me pissed off because in this day and age, it's, it, it, it shocks me that you would have the lack of thought and consideration to put forth, you know, a, a, some brides that look like the brides I see in America. Um, yeah, honestly, that's why. So I remember uh, so my cousin, uh, Jackie, she got married. I don't even know how many years ago, uh, maybe like 10 years ago. I don't know. Um, and so when she got married, she noticed, you know, there are like no black bridal magazines. And so a few years after getting married, one day she decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to start something for black brides, specifically because we're African. She wanted to start something for African brides because there is a whole set of cultural norms that's definitely not reflected in the bridal industry and so she started this magazine called Munaluchi Bridal she literally had no publishing experience she had like she was actually in the like medical technology field and she taught herself how to use like online publisher and um somehow because Jackie's just like a dope chick she convinced Barnes and Nobles <laughs> to carry this magazine that she created herself and they said yes and so there it was born. It was honestly not that many years ago, maybe 2000, I want to say 2007, maybe. Um, and it's just so crazy because she said, how crazy is it? In like 2007, 2008, there were no black bridal magazines. And uh, so what she decided as, as, after a while, she realized that so many brides were like, wait, I want to be represented, too. I'm basically not white. And so she expanded the vision of Munaluchi not to just include African brides, but brides of color. So it. you'll see Indian, yeah, like it's just so dope. You'll see Indian brides. You'll see uh, couples um, who maybe the groom is white, the 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 bride is you know Afghani. Like you'll just see just a wide range of colors, and it's just beautifully done, and it's done really well. And um, it's just a shame that there are not more publications like that that represent just other other cultures, you know, because we get married. Hello. And you would think that after she came out and has done so well, because her first, I think her first kind of like, uh, I forget what they call it when, not rotation, but like her first issue, they told her not to, not to distribute more than just a few thousand copies. And I think she ordered like 10,000 and they sold out within a couple of days. And they, Barnes and Nobles, everybody was blown away. They couldn't believe it. And it um, surprised me at all. Yeah, because it was like, oh, my face. Is I'm that desperate me? for it. I'm just, I'm just. And the brides are, are gorgeous. And and I, I love that they're multicultural. Mm -hmm. And thank you for turning me on to them even before I got engaged. Muna Luchi. It's, and it, again, it's Muna Luchi. Yes. M-U-N-A-L-U-C-H-I. If, yes. if you're a brown bride-to-be or you want to be one day, check out their blog. And the only besides Muna Luchi, the only other one I think that I've seen is blackbride.com. Okay. Um, and I will say that The Knot has gotten a bit better. Their Instagram could be more diverse. The Knot.com is like the bridal website to me, mm -hmm. whatever. But um, And their website's a little good, but they're, they're, they, they could use some work. Like, I just want people just to hire me as a consultant or something. Like, let me pick some brown. There are, you know, my favorite thing to do at work, people don't realize this, but a lot of publications use stock images for their um, websites. Yeah. You can go on to um, Shutterstock or Thinkstock or whatever stock image site, and they have a box you can click that says multicultural, diver uh, multicultural, different ethnicities you can choose. And I feel like that people just don't like to take that extra step. Um, yeah, and, and which is really a shame because 
it like you know this the world is getting more and more brown to be honest and so if you're not reflecting that in your company your business whether it's brides or otherwise then you're missing out on a huge market you know and not everything is white and pastel and just devoid of interestingness <laughs> so that's kind of but anyway i'm going to have a beautiful brown wedding and you know, I look at I look at my guest list, and they're diverse, and I I desperately want to see other examples of that, so I can see how do I incorporate the Dominican, the African American, mm. you know, the Catholicism, the Christianity. How do I incorporate all that into one wedding? And um, so I'm I'm grateful to Mooney Lucci for that, but I'm taking a brown break from every other bridal website <laughs> out there. <laughs> I like shade that. upon you. <laughs> I, right, I, I, I curse you with 10 years of, of shade and reading. But that's all for Brown Break this week. Yes. And now I'm going to go straight into our interview with Miss Aja McClanahan. I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you have any questions or uh, questions of your own that you want to send us, tell them how to get in touch with us, Tiff. They can get in touch with us on Twitter at the <laughs> BA Podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love telling you to tell it, to give our info. I just, at like, the BA Podcast um, on Facebook at Brown Ambition and on Gmail that I always forget that Mandy's going to give to you. Brown Ambition Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. That's where we like to get questions. You can really like, you know, write to your heart's content. We mm-hmm. love getting questions. We have a couple of good ones we'll answer on next week's show. But in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Aja McClanahan and see how she paid off more than $100,000 worth of debt. All right, Brown Ambition fam. I am really excited this week to have a very special guest with us. Because she brings the reality to real estate. Um, I love speaking with her and I can't wait for you guys to hear from her. Her name is Aja McClanahan. She authored the book Debt Free in 24 Hours, which you can find on Amazon.com. Aja knows so much about getting debt free because she went from $110,000 worth of debt down to nothing. And she did it in a really interesting way by choosing on purpose to move to what she lovingly calls the hood. Inglewood, Chicago. Aja, thank you so much for joining us on Brown Ambition. Thanks for having me, Mandy. This is going to be fun. I'm already excited. And I forgot to mention, you also founded the blog, principlesofincrease.com, right? Yep, that's me. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I just want to jump right in, Aja. Tell me what you mean when you say that you took a hand-me-down house in the hood to help you pay off your debt, you and your husband. Yeah, so when just to um, kind of backtrack, when my husband and I got married, we had over $60,000 in student loan debt, and then we, um, you know, very intelligently took on, you know, an, an additional, you know, 30, 40, 50, you know, 60,000. Um, so we had debt at different amounts, um, and it probably totaled, you know, around 100,000, a little bit more than that. Uh, and we were just drowning. We were on one income. I knew that I wanted to stay home with my kids. That was like a non-negotiable. But, you know, we had all this debt. We had garnishments, collectors, like everything that could go wrong financially was going wrong. And in 2009, um, one of our relatives, a relative of mine, inherited a house in, quote, unquote, the hood. And I have to say the hood. I don't believe I – I don't like saying that because it, it sounds 
you know, kind of derogatory, but I need, I want people to know kind of the magnitude of the decision that we made. We, we live in the hood. If you've heard of the term Chirac, you know, that's, that's, we're the neighborhood that coined that term. If anyone's going to use the word the hood, I feel like in this case, you should be able to. Yeah, but so we we decided to take this home that the relative, you know, who inherits this house, they're like, I live in the cushy suburbs. I don't want to live in the hood. You know, I have kids who are in a nice school system. And at first we were like, you know, this is a stupid idea. We'd never, we'd never do that. (laughs) But, um, you know, my husband and I, we actually had this conversation, like, are we going to be those people that get that 30 year mortgage on a house or a condo and we were like, no, we don't think that's us. Um, and so we were like, we want a house, but we don't want a mortgage. We don't know how that's going to happen. If we have to save or wait till we're 60, we'll do that. But this opportunity came up. And so it actually took a couple of weeks for us. You know, we're Christians, so we prayed about it. We thought about it. And, you know, we went through that whole thing, and we had peace about it. So we actually said yes to the house, you know. And at this so, point, your girls are how old? Oh, they were young. I think... My youngest was one, and so my oldest must have been like three or four. And so this was, I mean, just just to kind of backtrack, this was, it was serious because when we moved in, there were bullet holes in the back door. So, like, this <laughs> this was a really serious decision for us, um, but, it, you know, we've been safe ever since. And we actually enjoy the quality of life that we have now. We actually paid off all of our debt in 2013. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We're totally debt-free. And go ahead. I know that getting a house for basically nothing is obviously one great way to start paying off debt, but you still had to make a lot of sacrifices. So can you talk to me about your your getting out of debt journey, both the four-plus years it took you guys to whittle down that six-figure debt? Yeah, so that was oh my goodness, that's why I wrote a book about it. It was it was pretty involved. So during that time we were actually uh cash flowing the renovations on the house. It wasn't like totally move in ready. We were also cash flowing some private school which was very very expensive looking back. I don't know if we should have done that, but hey, um and then on top of that, I was kind of supporting a fledgling business, but it was the business actually. It was pretty it wasn't capital intensive, so uh, it was really one of the game changers for us to get out of debt. So we, we're those Dave Ramsey debt snowball people. And um, so that's that's kind of the method that we used. We, you know, budgeted. We uh, the snowball <laughs> method. I, I've talked about the snowball. I feel like Dave Ramsey's advice is so pro- prolific that I knew about the snowball method without even knowing like it was Dave Ramsey's thing. But that's the isn't that the idea where you start with a, your small your um the debt with the lowest interest rate first and then you continue kind of paying it off one by one by one? Yeah, so actually um the snow I think they call that the avalanche method when you start with the uh, to, not to be technical but with the lowest interest rate. Actually his his idea is to start with just the smallest debt. So you don't really have any regard for interest rates here. And it seems counterintuitive, but what it does is psychologically it just gives you those small wins. So it you know, in the same vein, you start with the smallest debt, get rid of that, and when you take the minimum payment once that's done, you know, and, and apply that to the next thing. So at one point we had a debt snowball was that was like three thousand dollars you know, for like a month or you know, a few months, you know, when we got towards the end. Student loan, you know, three thousand dollar balance, bam, let's pay it off. And in addition to like all the utilities and other obligations that we had, 
Um, and then I also want to mention that 2012, which was like a heat wave for, you know, the, the country, especially in Chicago, we actually had our air conditioning vandalized mm. and <laughs> we decided not to get it fixed. Oh my um, gosh. We could finish our, our debt snowball. So how that, much did that save you? Oh, well, we got different quotes. I think it was like just to replace it was like $3,000 is what everyone was telling us. Like maybe three or four years down the line, someone finally came in and said, hey, we can do it for for cheap. But at the time, all the quotes were like, we have to replace everything. Um, so, yeah, we that was one of those times we were like, man, why did we move to the hood? Like if, the, if we lived somewhere else, no one would like steal, a you know, an $8 piece of copper from our AC. <laughs> and damage it and, you know, wreak all this havoc. So we lived through that heat rate way without AC. We had like a window unit. We'd all cram into one room at night. So what did your you know, budget, what did your budget look like over this time? Uh, yeah. So we basically, I kept a really simple budget in, in Google sheets. So I'm like kind of that nerd spreadsheet person. So basically just writing down all of our expenses and saying, Hey, this is what we have to spend for the month, and that's it. So we would use the envelope system using cash. You know, if we budgeted four hundred dollars for food for the month, which is actually really low, I wish we had that. But <laughs> um, you know, that that was it. You know, this is what we paid out for this. So we cut out weird things like we. You know, my husband placed a moratorium on buying paper towels. <laughs> we, we stopped using paper towels during that time. Um, we we didn't have cable, so we did make some sacrifices. Paper towels are a luxury. They truly are. Twelve dollars <laughs> for a pack. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if you're trying to get out of debt, it's one of those things that you can forego. I think you know for a little while if you have to, not forever. One of the things I like about your story is that you took a house that costs no money, and yet you didn't immediately start living as if you weren't paying the rent. You really had to like psychologically, you know put all that money toward your debt and probably live on a lot, a lot less income than what you could. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of people would move to a low income house and then be like, Oh, I have all this extra money to spend. Well, you know, you know, for us to go out and like get a Bentley in the hood, you know, that really, or even a, just a super nice luxury car, you know, you don't want to draw too much attention to yourself. So for practical reasons, we just didn't like totally ball out. And obviously we want to pay down our debt, but even today we still kind of live like that because all those years we were paying down debt, we weren't contributing as much as we could to retirement. So we're kind of still, we're not, it's not as severe, you know, the, the level of austerity and savings, but we're still pretty frugal and we still try to save as much as we can every month because of, you know, all those years we didn't save. And does that $110,000 include your student loan debt? Yes, it does. That's so the bulk that, of it. Okay. Yeah. It was mostly student loans, sadly. I mean, you're not alone, especially when you put two people combined with college degrees. Talk to me about what's the biggest payment you made? Like, what was the biggest chunk where you're like, I thought we were never going to get this chunk paid off? So it was it was the, one of our last student loan bills, and it was one of my husband's student loans, uh, which was like a private student loan. And originally, it was like $12,000. And we negotiated with them and they were like, okay, at least pay the principal. You know, it's, it was so old, it was like 10 years old. And so we end up paying like, you know, 3,600, negotiating for 3,600. And I want to say the last payment we made on that was like $3,000. So 
that was like our biggest debt snowball payment. So you negotiated your student loan, your private student loan bill. I've talked about this and written about it. I'd love for you to talk about that process. How do you negotiated that bill down with the private lender? It, It was actually bizarre what happened because we had tried to do it maybe three or four years prior and we just couldn't get anything from them. The only thing they sent were the original was like the original promissory note or something like that. Um, and then that was it. We couldn't ever get a hold of them. And then maybe four or five years later, we got a hold of them. Maybe they were just more desperate for money at that time. But I got a hold of them and basically over phone and email just said, Hey, you know, we'll pay cash you know, for this. And we took out like a 401k loan um, and promptly, you know, paid it back. It took us, you know, a few months to pay it back. But because they were willing to settle, we did take that loan and, you know, it's it's since been paid back. I wouldn't suggest that for everything, you know, don't cash out your 401k. But if you have the option to borrow, you can settle a debt and you know you have the cash flow to pay it off, you know, it could work in some situations. So that's, that's pretty much what we did. And then, you know, paid the balance with our debt snowball, but um, I actually <laughs> was talking to a student loan lawyer specialist, quote unquote, who let me know that it was outside, potentially outside of the statute of limitations, so we didn't really have to pay it. <laughs> um, but that was like after the fact, we had already paid it. So I would encourage anyone who's like listening to this and you're like, oh, I have some private loan that I might negotiate down, check and see what your state's uh, statute of limitation is you might not have to pay it. But it, for us, it was like, okay, we did it. And then also, if he ever wants his transcripts or something like that, um, you know, you can be outside of the statute of limitations, but the school doesn't have to do anything else for you. They don't have to send you transcripts or verify your enrollment or anything. So I think it's, you know, just good practice to pay your debts anyway. But, you know, if you're yeah. in the box- that's absolutely one thing to consider. But that statute of limitations in most states is at least 10 years you're talking. And over that time, it's likely, I mean, you guys, um, you talked about being in default and having creditors, lenders coming after you and, you know, debt collectors calling. Um, so what was the impact of those loans on your credit? And what's your credit like today versus back then? Gosh, you know what? We actually don't really, we don't use credit for anything. We like, we don't have a mortgage or um, so I actually don't know. I don't check my credit score reg- regularly. We we just for the first time in I don't know how many years got a credit card to do like those rewards things, and we're not carrying a balance or anything. So it's bad. But we, neither one of us know our credit scores because we don't have any. Um, we have no plans to borrow any money for anything like in life. We Aren't don't. you curious? Because <gasps> um, you can check it for free, Credit Karma. Yeah, maybe I guess for like. Fraud purposes. This is my little moment to do the PSA where you should uh, you should at least pull your free credit report. Do you guys check your credit reports and everything? Yeah. So, yes, we do check our credit report to see if there are items on there that are suspicious or potentially fraudulent. But with that, we don't get a score, I don't believe, when we right, do like yeah. the annual. So, yeah, that's what I know what's on there, but I don't know what our that's- score is. Arguably, that's the important part. But you can tell – I mean, I get my score for free. There's a bunch of different places – Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Credit Karma. I mean, you should even check with your credit card that you guys took out. A lot of credit cards now are offering not just your TransUnion your Equ- or your Equifax or your experience score, but credit card companies will offer your FICO score. Oh, cool. And FICO is that like, you know, gold Cadillac credit score everyone uses. But um, oh, yeah. I mean, I can list off Credit Karma, Quizzle.com, Credit.com, Credit Sesame. Those are the top four where you can find. That's how I track my credit score. Um, cool. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. And 
And uh, you're right. I mean, that's just something to consider. You you really don't need a credit score until you need credit. And if you guys didn't, you know, take out any credit, then you wouldn't have needed it. Yeah, we've been duly traumatized by, by we were just. I mean, some people have better credit stories than ours, but I think you know we were just immature financially, you know, and so that left kind of like an indelible mark in our brains around the use of credit. So it just took us even a really long time to like have a big discussion about this recent credit card and we'll never carry a balance and we'll never pay interest. So that was, even that was like a big step for us. Mm. But some people were good with credit all their lives and they don't, they don't have those terrible stories. Who are those people? The people whose parents control their card for them, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Some people, I've, I've met some people and they're like, Oh, well, this is, yeah, what's wrong with having a credit card? All you do is pay the balance every month and you, or whatever their stories are. I, I don't know. We'll, well see. Maybe has, we'll become one of those people. <laughs> it sounds like you are, but I, I think it also has a lot to do with your upbringing and the um, influence of your family, your parents, and people around you. You know, I grew up really watching my parents just whip out credit cards. My, my mother, I always thought my, my mom's wallet. I'll never forget it when I was a kid. It was always just this massive like accordion wallet and it was just nothing. <laughs> like she would go to JCPenney and look for the biggest expansion wallet she could find because that's how many credit cards my oh. parents had. And that was the environment I grew up in. So when I you know, started college, my idea was, oh, credit. You just use that when you don't have cash. <laughs> so I'm curious what your upbringing was like financially and if you think that maybe, you know, how that played into you, um, your, your eventual debt that you fell into later. Yeah, so I, I think I heard from my parents quite frequently, you know, you have to get some type of credit card to build your credit, do something to build your credit. So when I was encountered you know, on the quad at school, you know, I was, in, you know, confronted with all these tables with giving away free T-shirts and, you know, Pepsi-Cola. And they're like, all you have to do is sign up for this credit card. I was like, oh, of course, this is perfect. I need pizza, which you're giving away. And also I need to build my credit. So you know, I signed up for a bunch of credit cards. <coughs> was the pizza that good? <laughs> I don't remember. It never was. But that's how they get you on college campuses. They do. Yeah, and I, I didn't have a job. I didn't even think about, like, paying the bill or paying it back. I was just like, I am building my credit. I didn't. I thought get, building your credit was just getting the card. I didn't realize that you had to, like, pay it back on time and as agreed. Missed that part of the tutorial. So I think that and then when people would demand payment I'm like who are these jerks you know what do they want from me so yeah I think that played a lot into my kind of like my money story going forward I just I just didn't make the connection even with student loans like signing paperwork when I got my first bill you know that six months you know grace period they give you I was like the nerve of these people how dare they (laughs) like I was totally shocked what about your husband? When did you guys meet and when you got married? Was it something you guys talked about before you got married? Yeah, so we met um, in grade school, junior high. We met in Spanish class in junior high, and we got married in our mid-20s, like 24, 25. And we did. We thought we were doing like the smart thing. We're like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to write a budget. We're going to write down all of our loans and all that. And we did as much as we could, but I think the problem with my husband was that he had loans that had changed hands. He didn't keep um, 
as good of records. And it was kind of confusing. So I don't want to say like, oh, he was a terrible record keeper. But at some point, I ended up consolidating all my loans. And I just had like one payment for everything. But he had like things here, things there, private loans from the university. So it was just, you know, it was just a confusing thing. So things things for him were like scattered and all over the place. So what we thought we had captured in our pre-wedding planning, you know, there were just more loans that got uncovered. Oh, Probably no. starting, you know, the month we got married, oh, this letter came, this phone call came, this, you know, so it was like big, like things coming out of the woodwork. So when it was all said and done, we, we had about the same amount of student loan. I just was more aware of my total balance, whereas he wasn't. Was he kind of cocky about it? Like, oh, I only have this much. And then a month later, you're like, oh, no. No, 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 I don't think so. I think he, in his mind, was still kind of unsure. He's like, these are the numbers I'm writing down. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll just see after you marry me what happens. (laughs) Let me put the ring on first, get the, you know, get the wedding certificate, and then we'll start digging deeper. That's funny. Exactly. And that's exact. That's how it panned out. And I was a little, um, you know, I was jostled by that. Like, okay, we have this. And then the next month, this letter comes. And then when I tallied everything up, I'm like, this is not the amount that you said, you know, you said it was this amount. And now we're here at this bigger amount. And we're just like, you know what, whatever, we're married. We, we're going to have to make it work. You know, this is not enough of a problem to get a divorce over. Let's just make a plan and figure it out. And that's ultimately what we did. Like when we got the the plan, after I read Dave Ramsey, I'm like, okay, this sucks. It's a terrible situation. But now that we had a plan, that kind of brought hope to the situation. And, it, you know, we worked it out. I was going to ask if there was ever a time that it put strain on your relationship. Because I know money and relationships, they go hand in hand, but they also can be really, they can be tough. Oh, Especially my when you're young, in your mid-20s. What do you know now about money relationships that you didn't know a decade ago? Oh, my goodness. That's such a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I think one of the big issues really for to me is that there's communication is one. Just figuring out how, what are people's money management style. So if you have someone who's a super cheapskate and someone who is like, you know, they're lavish spender and they expect certain things to be a certain way. For example, my husband, like he's, he came from one of those families where they celebrate every single holiday, every like Swedish day, Valentine's day, anniversary. Like I have to get a gift on every holiday. And so, and not to sound like a terrible, ungrateful wife, because I do like gifts, but at the time, you know, just me being a little more high strong as an individual, I'm like, I appreciate the sweetest day gift, but we could have used this for a student loan payment. Like that was. But wait, what is that even? A sweetest day? What is that? Oh, you don't know sweet. It's like the, it's the October version of Valentine's Day. Sweetest. No, day. I did not. <laughs> like Swedish fish, fish or no, sweetest? Sweet, sweetest. Like you are the sweetest person in the world. I have never heard this in my life. Wow, they are digging deep. <laughs> <laughs> That's so okay. That's where they draw the line. And I think I've gotten a gift like every sweetest day. <laughs> oh, my God. And no so way. just communicating about our expectations around, like, how do we even celebrate holidays? Do you do a lot of Christmas gifts? Do you not? So just learning up front what people's money. If you're going to discuss when you get married, like, how many kids do you want to have? Do you, are you a studio person or are you a big 
5,000 square foot house person or, you know, also talk about what are your money habits. So when you clear that up, you know, that's one thing. And the other thing is just not having enough money. If there's like overbearing debt, there's just, there's really not time to do anything. I mean, there were times when we were working to pay off debt, you know, I was like, hustling because I had a, you know, a gig, I was, you know, getting paid hourly, you know, working from home. And and then, you know, that summer where we, you know, had everyone in the, in the room because we had one air conditioning unit, you know, things are not as romantic when all your kids have to stay in the room with you, everybody, you know, so just like little things like that have an impact on your relationship. And now just being debt free, we have more room to dream a little like, so if my husband's like, um, and this is an actual example. He's always like, you know, give me my drop top. He wants this classic car. And it's something we don't have to argue argue about. Like, are you kidding me? As broke as we are, we can actually say, oh, you know what? Let's uh, actually open, let's open up another brokerage account. Let's throw some money at it every month and see where it is in three years. Like that's, those are the things that you can do when you're debt free. But if you're like, head over heels in debt and you have someone who whose kind of way of coping or escapism is buying things and stuff, you know, there are going to be problems. Mm. So debt helps. It doesn't help everything, you know, being debt free, but it, it helps, I would say, a lot of things. I'm soaking up all this knowledge for my, because I told you I'm getting married soon and I'm just going to be soaking up all this insight. Thank you for this. <laughs> Although living together before marriage, I'm telling you, that also can open your eyes to some conflict points too <laughs> for sure yeah you you, you kind of know well my husband and I we knew each other for a long time but we had a pretty short courtship so we moved together when we got married and fortunately I mean it was such a blessing like he's so laid back and it just worked out there it, there was there were no big surprise shockers he is um, he's actually pretty much a cheapskate like me so it just we gel better I think really the only kind of hitch there was just the communication and just knowing like or like seriously are you going to celebrate every single holiday like <laughs> his family is like the family who celebrates their birthday for a week like Monday we're gonna do this oh no 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 those people are not <laughs> that does not happen no I know those people I, I do and I'm like not going on Facebook not going not going not going not going yeah, yeah, and so then, but then you have to think even as a family. But if that's something that's really big and important to them, me and my husband have to have that conversation. Like, okay, of all these seven events, which three are you going to choose so we don't have to spend all this money? Like, that's a real, that's a real conversation <laughs> that we have to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're getting out of debt, you know, people get offended. Like, you didn't show up at this. Thing or so, like all that stuff happens, and you just have to manage all that, and it does, you know, it makes things stressful. Well, let's switch gears for a bit because you you've successfully achieved your goal of becoming a stay at home mom, right? Yep. So you have your business at home, your girls at home, the schools at home. <laughs> do you ever go crazy? Um, we do get a little stir crazy, so um, <laughs> we try to, you know, how do you separate our- it? How do I? Yeah. So my husband's really great at, you know, he'll let me get that time alone that I need. Like sometimes I'm like, I have to go out to Starbucks or whatever, get some work or he'll, you know, he'll help me and make provision. He'll take them in the evening or we figure it out. I, I don't feel there are not a lot of times that I feel super overwhelmed because if I do, then I'll just take a break and I'll stop working. <laughs> I'll stop working. I don't have that many bills to pay. So 
um, I can be kind of on, you know, off and on oh, with my work. Good. You can control your own schedule, basically. Yep, yep, in a nutshell. And I just want to also, you know, kind of drive home the point that I never made a whole lot of money in my life. Like, my husband has always been the primary breadwinner, and, you know, I've been, you know, I've kind of trailed behind him in income. So you don't need a lot of money to do this. We were... You know, I was always myself personally was kind of on the lower end of the income scale, but just being disciplined with the money helped, you know, pay down the debt. And again, $110,000 gone. That is amazing. Congratulations to you and your family. Thank you, Mandy. So do you have any plans? I guess I have to ask any plans to move anytime soon? Uh, I don't have plans only only because I actually do like the quality of life that we we live. I can live, I, you know, I get to control my schedule. If I want to take a break from working one month, two months, three months, I can. Earlier last year, we spent six weeks in California because I didn't want to do Chicago winter. So, you know, and then we did lots of other traveling too. So like being able to travel, be with my family, that to me is priceless. Like no big home in the suburbs can compare to that. So I don't, I thought, you know, when I was younger, I thought that was like my end goal in life to like live in this big, huge mansion in the suburbs with these, you know, crazy tricked out luxury cars. But, you know, I guess, you know, those, those desires have waned a little bit only because I feel like I have a good life right now. So we'll see that could change. I may want to move because of the weather, but that's the only reason why. No, I love that message. You found what's important to you and you invest in those things versus the things that aren't no, aren't so important, but that, you know, culture tells you you should have the yep. McMansion in the suburbs and such. Yeah, that's a good summary. <laughs> well, again, thanks so much. And everybody, you can find Aja's work at principlesofincrease.com. And her book is called Debt Free in 24 Hours, which is on amazon.com, right? Yep, it's available there now. Excellent. All right, Aja, thanks so much. Thanks, Mandy. This was fun. It's time for wins, wins, wins. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I feel like I haven't sung that song in so long. So, you know, I just wanted to give you guys a little interlude, just a little something, a little taste. Mm, we missed it. <laughs> you don't sound I don't, you're not convinced. <laughs> I'm kidding. Ooh, Mandy is in a shady <laughs> mood, honey. Sorry. I'm still thinking about all the white brides on Instagram, that's all. <laughs> no, that's fine. Who are beautiful. I'm sorry. You're beautiful. It's just not all of you. you. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's true, though. I mean, like, because I know sometimes people feel like when you are trying to, like, pick up brown it's like you're trying to pull down non-brown that's just not what we're doing obviously nope um but no yeah so my win this week is for a brown girl that we all know and possibly love miss taraji p henson i love the fact that her middle like she is right that she uh, like as if there's gonna be another taraji henson not to be confused with the other taraji (laughs) (laughs) got a nice flow to it though it does so she finally after years and years and years won an academy award and no, she, she gave didn't. out. She won a Golden Globe. That too. She <laughs> won a Golden Globe. <laughs> Look, I'm not part of the whole Hollywood life, so you know this is as close as I get. That's okay. Watching I it am. on TV. I-, I am a part of the Hollywood life from my couch. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so she won the Golden Globe, and one, she gave out cookies because, you know, as her role for Cookie and um, Empire. So she gave out cookies, which I thought was amazing. And her speech was just so, so full of black girl magic. Um, <laughs> and Hard I just, like, earned, I- well earned magic. Yes, and I just thought it was so cute because they tried to cut her off, and Taraji sounded like somebody's auntie. She said, "Oh no, mm-mm, y'all not cut me off. I have waited too long for this twenty years. You could wait," <laughs> which I, I thought was so her. I mean, I did see some like slightly sour pusses in the audience, which I was like, "Come on, man!" Like Taraji has been like grinding and and working really hard, and you know she finally has gotten to this place. Let this woman enjoy. It's just a few minutes. It is. Um, they mean, you know, they, they, wait, they did. They did wait for her. Yes. <laughs> and so I just want to say congratulations, Miss Taraji P. Henson, and many more, hopefully, awards to you. And I know, like, because, you know, Taraji's like, is she, she's in, like, her mid-40s, right? Mm-hmm. And looking she, really good. What? And she has just been working as an actress for over 20 years, and it's like she's finally now starting to get mainstream recognition. So just want to say kudos to you, and thank you for not giving up on your dreams, because because you have not. You've given other women and young women out there the permission to not give up as well i know and it's sad that it had to take 20 years but if you're out there and you're struggling look Mm -hmm. it'll pay off it could pay off i read that she was only the third woman of color third black woman to win that best actor um award actress award in like a decade or in history maybe wow isn't that sad and we haven't even talked about the oscars yet i was gonna say that mm, because they have not yeah hashtag oscars so white was going viral this week because the Oscar what? nominations. I don't know. I'm, I'm like downing the win portion of the of the. <laughs> I, I was like, podcast. yeah, we're going to talk about that next week. So, so let's, yes, yeah. let's get back to the good things. Okay. So okay. win for Taraji, what's your win? I wanted to congratulate someone who's sort of been a mentor to me uh, over the last few years, uh, Farnoosh Tarabi. She yeah. is a personal finance guru, and I don't use the term lightly. She has just created this brand for herself that's so positive, and she – truly, truly helps people get on top of their finances, but not just um, at a basic level. She's created this whole year a podcast called So Money, which has over a million downloads. She's like our podcast shero. You have to check out her (laughs) podcast, So Money. And on the podcast, she talks to interesting people and basically interviews them and asks them very specific questions about their financial philosophies. If you want, you can check out um, me and Tiffany separately. We're both interviewed by Farnoosh earlier this year. Yeah. And it's just a great – it's a great chance to get to sit down in the same room but not really with amazing people who are killing it in their career and find out how they got to where they are and the the financial and career philosophies that help them out. So – that was yeah, a long dope. intro for Farnoosh. She's amazing. Yeah, she um, is amazing. And on top of that, this week she announced on the first birthday of So Money, she announced that she's creating a new primetime show with CNBC called Follow the Leader, mm. which is kind of like the podcast itself, except it's going to be a half hour, I think, or an hour long show where she you'll see her travel with, travel to such great entrepreneurs like the founder of Paul Mitchell Hair System. I saw that picture. And Patron Tequila. Who knew he even created tequila? I knew. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> the CEO of the Dollar Shave Club. I saw her with this guy from one of these, uh, one of the Shark Tank shows on Instagram on a private jet. It's, it looks yes. like a dope show. It uh, honestly, I'm like, you have no idea. I'm so excited because I love, 
like I am like a junkie for documentaries of like people's rise to success. Like I love a rags to riches story. I watch mm-hmm. them all the time. So when I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh. And Farnoosh is so personable and she's like fun and lighthearted. So she's just really going to make these people that seem untouchable seem like touchable and reachable. So I'm excited. That's the whole appeal of Farnoosh. She makes everything like she's telling, she's, she'll probably talk to you about index funds, but she makes it sound so legit, like so normal, like just like two friends sitting down with each other. And mm-hmm. I love her. I love the way she approaches personal finance advice. So the show again is called Follow the Leader on CNBC and it premieres March 23rd at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So okay. congratulations, Farnoosh. Yes, congratulations. You are definitely doing it. And, you know, it's just so crazy because I met Farnoosh at the first FinCon. And, you know, she was like the, the man or the woman, the myth, the legend, Farnoosh, you know. <laughs> and, like, I think, like, one of our friends, Tanya of My That Finance, she had, like, a dinner party. And somehow... I ended up sitting next to Farnoosh. So this is just a testament to negotiating. I mean, not negotiating, but networking definitely is a good thing. And I'm usually pretty shy, but I ended up sitting, I was sitting and she just sat next to me um, at this dinner and uh, we were at the same table and she started asking people around the table, kind of like, what do you do? And kind of like that kind of thing. And then she got to me and I told her about the challenge that had not even launched. It was the first time. And she was so interested and engaged. She was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I remember her telling me, if you don't come back next year to FinCon and teach a class on it, she's like, I want to take it. And I'm like, I'm just little like, you know, not to say I'm nobody, but you know, you know what I mean? Like in the finance world, I wasn't like well-known. I didn't even have the challenge at the time. It was just an idea. And she was so nice and so cool. And I was just like, okay. And then since then, she has had me on her podcast and other shows. And she's just always been so, I think she wrote about me on The Daily Worth. Just always just reaching out and just kind of like, hey, you good? Okay. Just such a dope person when she didn't have to be. And that's what networking should look like, that you're just interested in people around you. And she obviously wasn't interested because she thought I could do anything for her because I could not. But she was just nice for being nice sakes. And this it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. I agree. Congrats, Farnoosh. And everybody go check out Follow the Leader and download So Money, the podcast. Also, she's going to get mad at me because I downplayed So Money. She actually has 5 million downloads. Wow. Five times. And this is she She hit her 1 millionth birthday, I think, around September. So that's incredible. Wow. I'm so proud of you, Farnoosh. Yes. What? She's our fairy god, fairy financial god sister, whatever that is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? I On know. That note, she's it's been a she's special, twister. is what we're trying to say. <laughs> yes, All it has right. been a tongue twister. We should call you know. You know, I want to call this podcast uh, this episode "Black Girl Magic." <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> Look at Mandy. Say, Mandy I'm pretty sure we've already named an episode that, so we'll have to talk about it. Okay, maybe we we'll just call sure. it the, the tongue twister since I've been like tripping over my tongue all evening. Words are hard. It is Sunday <laughs> yes. night. Yes. You go and have yourself a lovely Sunday evening. La Brown Ambition family, you can again email us at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at the BA Podcast or check us out on Facebook at Brown Ambition. Whoop, whoop. Bye, y'all. Bye bye. Hey. 
the Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.